You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I are joined by my colleague, Kieran Herbert, for a discussion all about shared micromobility. How have bike share programs and other micromobility programs evolved to meet the needs of cities across America? How can the equitable growth of these programs be achieved? And what are the greatest challenges facing shared micromobility programs? Let's get into it. Kieran, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Tell us about your role at People for Bikes, what you do for the organization, and how that intersects with NACTO. Yeah. So my name is Kieran Herbert. I I'm the content manager at People for Bikes. And what that really means is I oversee a lot of our content, which blogs, reports, white papers, communications, the website. But I also oversee communications for the Better Bike Share Partnership, which includes the city of Philadelphia, People for Bikes, and NACTO, which stands for the National Association of City Transportation Officials. And yeah. BBSP is basically, that's how we, that's how we breathe it, is an organization that exists to make bike share more equitable. So we're a partnership of all these organizations and NACTO's role in the partnership is really just NACTO as a whole. There are a hundred, more than a hundred major North American cities and transit agencies, and they form to exchange transportation ideas, insights, and practices, and really work as a unit to inform national transportation issues. And their role within the BBSP is they help us put on a shared micromobility roundtable at their annual conference, which this year is in Miami. They also oversee our Transportation Justice Fellowship, which aims to support people of color working in transportation. And this year we're focusing on shared micromobility. They're also just in general a partner. They help with technical assistance and put out a lot of great reports for planners everywhere. And one of them is their shared micromobility report, which is what we're here to talk about today. Amazing. I love it. Let's let's hit like a couple definitions early on and assume that the audience have like no familiarity with this. What is bike share? Okay, so bike share can be shared bikes that live in docks throughout your city. It could also be kind of free floating bikes that are around. We call those Lucy's. Lucy's. Um, I love it. That's just that's not how I've used the term before, but I (laughs) but I haven't bought one single cigarette in a long time. Um, That's also that's not an official. That's not an official term. That's an internal BBSP term. But (laughs) basically basically these bikes, they're either docked or they're dockless, but they're they're shared in the sense that anybody can go and rent them. Pricing structures differ from place to place but they're basically for the public to use. Mm-hmm. And shared micromobility as a whole, we also include e-bikes in that and e-scooters. Okay, perfect. That, that makes sense. Thanks for like for bringing us along. So you mentioned shared micromobility. Let's start with like micromobility first before we even get to share. Like what is micromobility? How are we using the term? Uh, micromobility is really any kind of small human powered vehicle is how I would say it either partially or fully human powered. So partially in the form of like an e-bike with a throttle or something like that. Mm -hmm. And 
they're basically just, you know, things you can use in a bike lane. You could also use them on streets, but they're just smaller vehicles that help move people around. And so when we add shared to it, it's just fleets of these vehicles that anybody can rent. Does skate fit into this? Like skate, play skateboarding? Or e-skate or whatever it might be. If, I mean, if you're, it's sort of at the fringes of the definition, but it still fits. Yeah, I think, I think for sure. Okay. That's definitely a form of micromobility. You don't see a lot of shared skating happening. So, but there's an idea, right? Right. I'm going to start renting out my e-longboard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know there's there's universities that um, or, you know, my experience is that at least my university had longboards and skateboards that you could rent from the, the rec center and stuff. I I wonder if that's like a, a, a one small example of what shared micromobility using skateboards and longboards. What expensive liberal arts college did you go to? <laughs> I went to a directional school. I went to the University of Northern Colorado. I did not. I'm just I thinking like go. University of Arizona did not have skateboards for us. Neither did University of Hawaii for that matter. Northern Colorado That's needed that. a draw, Kelly. Hawaii doesn't need a draw. I know. Well, it does. Yeah. It's What happens is kids go there and they, they after a month they leave. But... That's a really interesting idea of, of you know, all, all kinds of gear share. And I'll leave that be because I'm going to start talking about Thrive. But I love this. I love I love the idea of gear share. And I was just jealous about the skateboards. OK, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the original shared micromobility system really started in Amsterdam. And it was just a bunch of free white bikes that were left around town. That's kind of where the whole idea originated. And it was just. Anybody could jump on a bike and go where they needed to go and leave it and the next person could get it. Interesting. And then we we started charging people for it. I love it. I love how yeah. pure the, <laughs> the original um, framework was and how we're like, oh, but we should make people pay for it. But of course, that's how that's how our society functions. And I'm not, you know. There's a, a, a movie called The Bicycle Thief. That's it's it's an old movie and it's about uh, it's about Chinese culture and a it it follows the life of this bicycle that basically just nobody owns and it was about the the variance between the capitalistic ideas that you should own your stuff and and um, not capitalist ideas where we all share stuff and it was fascinating and it sounds a lot like what happened in in Amsterdam where it's just like a bunch of white bikes you know and people just ride them. So it's it's I think it's I think it's interesting to think about the origins of of sharing and then what happens to that, you know, as we as we monetize it. That's oh, all. Yeah. Watch The Bicycle Thief. A fascinating movie. You'll love it. Very cool. So, Kieran, tell us about what's new in shared micromobility. Yeah. So this report just came out. It's not going to, as you data wonks know, it's not very new because it's all from 2022. But it That's did okay. just drop with a bunch of interesting trends. You know, first and foremost among them, shared micromobility is being used by a lot of people in the places that it's available. So I think that the title of the report on the cover, it's really people took at least 130 million trips on shared bikes and e-scooters in the U.S. and Canada in 2022. And it's the U.S. and Canada because, yeah, exactly. Those are NACDO's regions. They don't really work in Mexico. And the trips are up by 40% since 2018. So that's pre-pandemic. Trips are up. People are really using this stuff. And what's in, what's kind of different is like they're not just using it to get to work or commute in the traditional sense. We're seeing that it really fills a transportation gap. 
an analysis of some of the largest systems found that 34% of riders use it to access jobs, 39% use it oh, wow. to run errands. Yeah, it's high. 16 to get to school and 50 just for rec. So people are using it in all sorts of ways and it's really helping to fill a transportation void in the US and Canada. Yeah. So it must be a robust system if a third of the riders are using it to access their their job, right? Like you you would need some sort of structure in order to make sure you're able to arrive at your job on time. You'd have to like make sure that there's a bike there waiting for you. And that to me means that whatever bike share program exists is robust enough for you to like have that dependable access. Is is that fair? I think that's fair. I think in some places it's a little less dependable where I live in Boulder. It's their, their focus is almost exclusively on the college that sometimes it's hard for me to find a bike outside my office, but it's a pretty Mm -hmm. small place. I can usually walk a few blocks to do that. We are seeing that, um, from this report that station-based are doing better than kind of those boosties floating around, which is interesting. <laughs> That's like mm. one of the, the things that stuck out to me. Just so he has kind of prior to that, kind of prior to this report, you'd think almost that with like the dockless model, you'd be able to spread wider because you can cover more of a city, but they're yeah. finding that the docked systems are actually the ones that are doing better. So I'm going to ask the same question that you are, um, which is, you know, do, do you have GPS on the on the Lucy so you can see um, the patterns of where they end up and how far they are from the docks? I mean, maybe the problem is, you know, it's you're not guaranteed to find a bike if you just go out hoping to find a Lucy. But if you go to the if you go to the docking station, there's your bike. Well, so most cities don't have both. That's kind of one of. So your city probably either has a docked or a loose system. Oh, we've so got to, we got to find a place that has both so we can do some, so we can do experiments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think of anything that comes to mind. The, the, the systems that are seeing the most growth in the U.S. are all docked. This is like New York City, oh, San okay. Francisco, Montreal. Um, and what's also interesting is that dockless e-scooters accounted for nearly two thirds of all of the devices out there. So there's so many e-scooters around, but they're making up less than half the trips. So that's kind of a shift because in the past, the e-scooters used to do a, make up a lot more of the trips. And now we're seeing that it's really these docked bikes that are making up the bulk. That's so interesting. How, how has that proportion changed over time? Are we seeing like um, the share of total units uh, like I, I would assume it's increasing, but are, are bikes increasing more quickly than scooters as a result of the trips favoring bikes? I would say no. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, docked e-scooters, they dropped by about 10% in 2022. And that's mostly because a number of e-scooter companies shuttered operation. In mm, North America, yeah. also abroad. Um, and these closures are largely due to ongoing financial struggles and a shift of company-wide operating priorities. So they're almost, they're a little less reliable. They're losing out in cities. And this kind of goes along with some of the other data in the report, which the cities that are really doing the best are those that have support from the cities, right? They might be private companies operating these systems, but when the city's involved and treating these systems like the public transportation, we know it is. Yeah, yeah. 
That totally makes sense. Of course, there has to be that healthy partnership in order for it to be successful. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that's really cool about the Nectar Report is that they emphasize what strong partnership between a private company and a city looks like because their focus is on city government. Yeah. So, so what other opportunities do you see um, that would sort of like continue this growth of shared micromobility? I love this question. Um, I want to preface it by saying that at BBSP, we're really interested in seeing equitable growth. So that's mm-hmm. that's our focus. And you know, one in four people in this country are, are transportation secure, which means they lack the resources for transportation. And shared micromobility is really an amazing tool that can help 25% of our neighbors, right? Get to school, jobs, healthcare, groceries, all of these things, as well as just experience the joy of being outside. And we're focused on equitable growth because we really want to serve that population and not just the wealthier, whiter people that were kind of the early adopters of shared micromobility. Yeah. So with all that being said, there's a few things in this report um, that the report pinpoints that can really sustain equitable growth. One of them is what we were just talking about, right, for cities to set clear goals for pricing and price equity. Well, we I guess we were talking about city partnerships, and that's one of the ways they can be a good partner is by making really explicit what they want to see, like what populations they want served and how affordable they want their system to be. Um, Prices have just been going up like everything else in the world. And unless cities are able to rein it in, you know, it's going to be, it it can cost you $14 to take a bike for, for a few blocks when it's cheaper maybe to take an Uber. It just doesn't make sense. So we need to really figure out the pricing aspect. I think NACTO had some interesting data in here about pricing and how it's just getting more unaffordable for for people, especially low-income users. They said mm-hmm. people using reduced fare passes are two times more likely to use e-bikes than pedal bikes. So this is specifically talking about the pricing of e-bikes going up. And a two to four mile trip that was once affordable can now cost $6 or more, even with a reduced fare pass. So it's just doesn't really make sense when the price of a bus, right, is significantly lower than $6. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot. $6 is a lot for a one-way trip. Yeah, Twelve, yeah, yeah $12 why... to get there and back. Yeah, that's that's significant. What are they, how are they, how are they um, developing their pricing models? Uh, the, you know, these the sure. private companies? Mm-hmm. I couldn't really tell you. I think they are basing it to account for the labor it takes to rebound systems, to keep the bikes up to date, the scooters up to date, um, and just to also make money for their shareholders, right? Because a lot of these are publicly traded companies. On the flip side, the systems that have more city involvement have lower pricing. So, And we're seeing kind of this trend in cities realizing that they need to treat shared micromobility like they treat transit. And so like, just like you subsidize a bus fare, right? Buses are highly subsidized. You need to subsidize bike share. And so in the last year, we've seen San Francisco pledge a lot of money to its system, which is going to lower pricing for everybody across the board. And then just recently, the city of Boston launched a pilot to make sure to make bike share free for low income riders for a year. So completely free and just $60. Yeah, and just $60 a year for everybody else. So it's now much more affordable in Boston 
to use bike share. And they're, and that took, I think they put about half a million of the city budget into that, which is to put that in perspective, like the ROI on that is really good. <laughs> That's just a very small yeah, amount absolutely. for a city to put yeah. in to move. But you came to, you came to the right place to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, we like microeconomics. Um, yeah. So my question is, basically, you know, we're back to the place where it's unaffordable for the for the target audience. Um, is there? Do you think that there might be besides subsidies, which you know is is probably preferable? And as you said, you know, for every dollar invested in bike share, I'm betting they get three or four back at least. Um, in mm-hmm. economic in economic um, impacts, but when I think about this, I mean, it would it be possible? I would love to write somebody a hundred dollar check so that whenever I'm in the city, I can ride a bike, and I don't have to have a, my phone or deal with an app or deal with the nickel nickel and dime fees. I just, you know, I'm just part of a community that shares bikes. Is that possible? Is that happening anywhere? I love that. Like a whole network wherever you come in, you can just yeah, paid in already. And besides of that, that reduces the risk to the bike share company because it basically it's like a season's pass. You know, your customer takes on all the risk. Is it raining? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to take a bike. Too bad you already paid for it. Doesn't pass. matter. Yeah. yeah, I do love the season pass because it drives <laughs> me. I think about it way too much. <laughs> it's like a little. It's a grain of sand that's going to spit out as a pearl when I'm dead. But the thing, <laughs> the thing is. It, you know, that's part of my problem is that, you know, I'm always, especially when I'm in a different city and then D.C. or Baltimore, I'm fumbly. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. It would be great if I'm just like, hey, there's my bike share. Boom, I've got transportation. Don't have to pay anything. Don't have to get on my phone. Well, I probably have to get on my phone, but you get the idea. I mean, yeah, you're you're probably always going to have to get on your phone. Which yeah. Is probably one, Either that or I just want to, you know, we're just going to have a chip. <laughs> And as I will a, say that as like, a market no, research professional, I'm all for that. <laughs> as a human being, I'm vehemently that, against it. But I mean, is that is anybody using a model like that, or is it all pay as you go? It's so for if you're just jumping into a new city, it's probably always going to be pay as you go. The flip side is sometimes the monthly or annual will just make sense for how long you're there. Like I went to Santa Barbara for a week, and their monthly pass I think was like thirty bucks, and for the week I was there, it made more sense just to buy the monthly pass. Right. So I did that. Um, I'd say most systems in this, like in our larger cities are owned by Lyft. So if you have the Lyft app, you're just kind of, you can log on to there and do it. But no, nobody's, nobody's thinking as big as you. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to go start it. I'm going to go take, I'm going to go buy like a hundred bikes at a discount and, and build a community in my little hometown. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are, we are seeing a lot more e-bike libraries and I, we do consider those shared micromobility too, because these are libraries that are in, um, and these tend to be in underinvested neighborhoods, right? So right. those neighborhoods of color, lower income neighborhoods where the bikes are generally made available free to rent on a longer term basis. So maybe oh, wow. a month, yeah, they're really cool and they're they're becoming more popular and those are really serving a need because then people can use them for long-term work, right? They can use them as a delivery service or uh, to get their kids, well, it'd have to be a cargo bike. Some of them have cargo bikes to get your kids to school. Uh, I just, I'm just going to lay my kid over my top bar. <laughs> Tell them not to move too much. Um, yeah, let the record show Kelly doesn't have kids. We just want to make sure that 
that <laughs> listeners know that no child no is unsafely riding on Kelly's bike. <laughs> totally would have done it. <laughs> if I'd well, had a younger game. sibling, you know. <laughs> yeah, fair game. Younger siblings are fair game. Uh, the, what an interesting model. So so how does a city, like how does that fit into a city, a, a, an e-bike library? An e-bike library fits into a city. Usually you'd partner. And this is one of the other things NACTO recommends and BBSP also recommends for equitable book, gro- equitable book growth is really making these close partnerships with community-based organizations to lead a lot of this work. And so that's what we're seeing a lot with the e-bike libraries is maybe you get a grant fund, maybe it's a climate from a climate fund or the city's giving the money. However you get the money, you're starting this Mm e-bike library. In Colorado, it's a lot of climate funding that are funding these libraries. And you work with a community-based organization that's already serving your target population, which is probably a population of color, low income. And they already have the trust built in that community. So they're able to take on ownership of the system, help sell it to their constituents and help train them, make sure they understand how they're using it, help get people signed up and just keep the system functioning long term. You know, it's funny that um, you mentioned e-bike libraries. We we have gear libraries within the Thrive Outside Network, which is you know, the Outdoor Foundation's effort to to um, build communities or work with communities around the country to get get more people outdoors, especially kids, um, especially people who have traditionally lacked access. We there's a, there's a whole organization that's that thrive that that is working on gear libraries specifically, including like a POS system for the gear library, and you know trying to help them get gear for the gear library. And it's and I mean they have bikes and kayaks and and um, backpacks, I mean, you name it, they've got it. And so if, the, if a kid is involved in a program in the community and they're, you know, they try and work with as many of the programs that touch the, that target audience in the community as possible to get collective impact. But once that kid has, has um, applied and checked out gear from that gear library as part of the program, they can go back and check out gear anytime. It is fantastic. And I mean, it just, it, it solves the gear problems in those, in those specific communities. Yeah, we're seeing something pretty similar with the bikes. And I think probably we're not at the point where it's as widespread as your gear libraries, but there are organizations that are trying to get there. There's one in upstate New York called um, Shared Mobility Inc. And they're focused on helping take the discarded bike share bikes from all these like shared micromobility companies that have like shut down, are no longer in use, refurbishing them, and then just putting them back in the community for free so people can use them. Oh, that's amazing. Sometimes, yeah. That's so cool. cool. So they're just turning into into basically the the bicycle thief and the <laughs> early early model in Holland of bike share where we just have Lucy's that are just, you know, if, it, if it, it's just a bike, whatever. We've gone full circle. It. I love it. I know, I like that's it. it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.